like you'd open to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, before I begin reading in 2 Peter, I'd like to make a few comments about what I'm going to talk about. In the last few months, I've been reading, starting with the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now I'm in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a very interesting book. Right now, I'm about a third of the way through it, reading it slowly at breakfast time. And there have been things that jump off the page at you. That's the preacher part of me. That's the way God does things. It's just certain thoughts, phrases come off the page, and it gets your attention. You start thinking about it. Well, there's two or three things that came up. One, I found that when Moses was reminding the people before they crossed the Jordan to go into their promised land, which is not politically correct today, but it's still true. As they were going to go into the promised land or the land of promise, he was reminding them of what was required of them and what God had already said, the law and the things that he said, and he was reminding them. And one of the things that he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, when you get there, be careful lest you forget, which is a common thing for people like us. We heard some really good things. We've heard some memorable things, except down the road as to either distractions or busyness or something, we tend to forget what we've heard. God warned his people about it, which means he puts a premium on what he says. Don't let these things slip. You keep this word that I'm giving you in your heart and your mind because he said at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 32, he said, this is your life. He told him earlier, he said, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by the word. So don't forget this. I mean, our coming together is for that purpose, to hear and to gather this divine information in as God gives it to us. Don't forget it when he gives it to you. And then chapter 8, he says, in I think verse 11, he says, but if you do forget, you'll perish. You're reading this and you're thinking, not many people think like that. Not many of the people on this earth who relate to God, at least verbally relate to God, think like that. If you do forget, and you do this and do that, said, you'll perish. And then just the other morning, I was reading in chapter 11, verse 16, where he said, take heed to yourself. He said, take heed to yourselves. You know how vulnerable you are. Look at the history of your life how easy it is to put things off or to make excuses or to have other reasons for doing things that you shouldn't be doing. He said, you take heed unto yourself that your heart be not deceived and you turn aside because that's what happens. Even Paul wrote, he said, you know, the people that will fall away are not the people that haven't been there, but the people that have been there. They'll hear something besides what God originally said, and it has more oomph to it than what God said, and so they turn aside. So this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, I want to begin there with those thoughts in mind. I'm going to title the message this, Heed the Call and Avoid the Fall. How's that? Heed the Call and Avoid the Fall. And it has to do with our need to take heed and to get feed. <laughs> anyway, Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you 
through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, that would be through the knowledge, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, and besides all these things, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful, that word again, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, maybe he's forgotten them, but he that lacketh these things is blind, and he cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, let's just say therefore. Therefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. And then here's part of my text. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Now there is something to hold on to. God says there is something that you can do that he will supply you with so that you will never fall. And verse 11 says, and you therefore gain an entrance into heaven. I mean, you'll find as, well, his words were, for an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, this is the way to heaven. This is the way to eternal life. This is the way a Christian should live. And it involves knowledge. Three times in verses 2 and 3 and verse 8, he emphasizes how important it is to know something. Knowledge is not an option. Knowledge is a necessity in the kingdom of God. You cannot serve somebody you don't know. You can know a lot about a person. That doesn't mean you know them. You can academically know things and pass a test in school 10 years from now. You don't even have a clue what the test was about. But when you know something, know it inwardly. You never forget it. It hangs on. It stays in there. It's in your hard drive. That's the difference between just knowing casually or academically and knowing spiritually. There are things that God puts in your hearts that you can't, you just won't forget. That's the things that God will use to change your life. But you have to know something. You have to go where you can learn. You have to be willing to learn. You have to want to learn. You have to recognize your need to learn. That you don't know near enough that you should know or the way that you should know it. Only God can give that. And so this is a great need in your life, but a great warning goes with it. Once you know something and God has shown you something, be careful you don't forget it because there's a price you pay for forgetting. So this kind of takes all the goofiness out of the whole system and brings sobriety into it and where we think, you know, this is a serious way of life. This is a very serious life that God has called us to. Not many people want to go very far in Christianity. They like religion. They just don't like the 
get involved in all the details of it. And yet, God apparently, as I read in verse 2 here, he never leaves us alone. He said, not only are you given something that enables you to partake of the very nature of God that is in you, something in there that's divine and holy, and something that will deliver you from the corruption that is in the world through lust, because he's given you all things that pertain to life and what? Godliness. It's already done. It's not going to be done. It has already been done. He has given us. Now, you got to learn what it is and then feed on that. Partake of that. And then you'll quit lusting after the world and coveting what other people have because you can claim things for yourself. God has given you richly all things to enjoy. And these are the things that are hidden in our heart, the things that we ought to partake of. Then you notice he said in verses 5 through 8, having that bit of knowledge that you have been given something to deliver you from this world, you still have to walk in this world. You still represent God in this world. God expects a certain kind of character and life out of you as you walk through this world. You're not to wander aimlessly through life with a bad testimony, with an indifferent attitude about God that others pick up on. There's something supposed to change in your life. God wants you to live in a certain way. You start with faith. He said, now, you add to your faith virtue. Virtue is what makes you pleasing to God. It's a quality of life. It has a moral quality to it. You're living upright, living with convictions, and willing to live right. Virtue. He said, add to your faith virtue. Work on it. He said, then add to your virtue knowledge. You never quit learning. And add to your knowledge patience. I mean, this ability to stand fast and not give up. Don't quit. Hold on. God is faithful. Add to your patience godliness. That's that word that has to do with piety and devotion. It describes a relationship that you should have with God. Out of that relationship, your fear or reverence for God, your focus on God in life and leading to trust and faith comes. And you not only do those kind of things, but he said you also are to add to this brotherly love because you're going to be with brethren. Nobody's a hermit in the kingdom of God. Nobody's a recluse. We're all together in a family. Not exactly who you would have chose to be with if you had the choice to make, but it's where you are. You got to learn to love your brother. It's a part of the deal. We have to learn. We have to be taught. You said you can't teach people to love. You can teach people to love. Older women were to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Well, that would be natural to love your husband. Not necessarily. Not if mom and dad picked him. <clears throat> Daddy might have gone out and got him a, uh, you know, a deer hunter and a big old rough looking thing, but you know, that's what it cost him six goats and a house full of chickens, but that's your, that's your husband, hon. And she might be going, oh no. And the older women say, hon, now listen. Yeah, you can learn to love. Add to that godly love. Love that surpasses your need for response. You don't love because you get love back. You love because it's the way God loves. God didn't love me because I loved him back. He loved me because he wanted to. And he didn't stop loving me because I didn't love him back. 
Look at Peter. So he said, this is a kind of a life that we're to live. And notice, this is what must be taught. Would you agree with that? That these things must be systematically pointed out, detail by detail taught? That we don't just naturally have these qualities in our life. We don't. They have to be taught. And I believe as long as these things abound, what do they do? You see the three words, they make you? If you got the right Bible, did you see where it says they make you? Think about this for just a moment. What God is teaching us has the ability or the power inherent in the word. Remember, so shall my word be that goes forth, it shall not return void. It shall accomplish that which I please. If these things that we're talking about here are the things that God gives, and they are, the power in these words, if you will hold it fast to yourself, they are able to not only transform and change your life, but they're able to bring forth these very things. They make you. That's the power of the word. Underline it. They make you. That is, they bring to pass, they cause to be. Two things, that you will not be barren in the knowledge of God, nor will you be unfruitful in life. There's so much in the Bible about what I've already said that it's, I have to be careful I don't spend all morning on something that's like this, but this is important. It is to me, because I look at 2 Peter chapter 1, and I see so much in there that you, you preachers, you could preach for a month on this first chapter. You see, what God saw the need that we all had coming out of a darkness of life. And God gives us all these things that we don't understand yet. We have to be taught. We have to learn. Our eyes have to be open. It's the work of the Spirit to do that. So he gives us all of these things. We begin to see with our eyes, with our spiritual eyes, what he is saying. That encourages us to want more of it. And the more you begin to learn and you begin to practice and do, your life begins to change. You start seeing things differently than you ever did before. The things you used to think were so much fun, you begin to hate because it was what got you in trouble with God. It led to sin. And the things you used to have as your hobby and your pastime, you realize the death of it and you got to get away from it. So you do that and God begins to make this change come forth. You begin to see things differently. This is the work of God. And then you go where the word is being taught and you're not being entertained or told how to get saved every week. And the word begins to be taught and you begin to be challenged. And then you begin to realize there's a lot of opposition in me to what, what I'm hearing. There's a lot of opposition. I hear a lot of why that? Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, why would he want me to do that? Well, I can't do that. Well, that would be the death. Of, well, that's the dumbest. You found all this stuff has been laying in you for years. It's a hidden enemy in your heart. It's just the way you were. That's the kind of person you were. Self-made, self-serving, and all of a sudden God says, I'm going to deal with that. And boy, the preacher just lets it go and the word comes out and the spirit of God got like a sword, a two-edged sword. And while the word's in there, the spirit of God is doing this and you're beginning to realize a lot of things. What's happening? God's changing us. Little by little, every day. 
He is changing me from my wicked ways and all of that. He's changing us like this. The teaching of the word, because he said the power of the word is that it is able to make you. It is able to do a good, great work in your life. Verse nine, but, and here's a warning. But he that lacketh these things. Now, let me ask you a question. All you down home folks, we're not complicated. People don't want to be. We're not very sophisticated. I'm not. Why would somebody who has heard this lack this? How could you lack something you've heard? Could it not be you didn't pay attention? Or you heard it once and then you forgot it? Because whatever you needed kind of got fixed and then you kind of didn't need it anymore. And you forgot it. Listen, the Bible said, he that lacketh these things, what things? This adding to the divine nature, knowledge of God, growing, grasping, changing. He that lacks this, maybe this person is just a church member. Glad to be here, but that's all I'm told there is to it. And he lacks. He that lacks these things is what? He's blind. He can't see what you're saying. We're warned nine times in the scripture about that. Nine times that having eyes to see and see not, having ears to hear and hear not. That's judgment. God knows the heart and the desire of the heart. And if you don't have a heart for it, you won't get it. But he said he is blind. Not only it says he is blind, but he cannot see afar off. Therefore, he's not motivated to prepare for what's afar off. He doesn't see what you're talking about. It doesn't make any sense. When he walks out that door, goes home, his life will be tomorrow as it was the day before. He has no motivation to do any changing in his life to get ready for tomorrow. How many of you believe if you knew, if there was a way to know, we don't, but if there was a way to know that Wednesday morning at noon, exactly 12 o'clock, Jesus was coming. At noon, you knew that from now to noon Wednesday, Jesus will be here. How would your life be the rest of the week? Would you change anything? Woo. Maybe you wouldn't, but I would think you would. If you knew it, if you had some way of knowing, you would make preparation. But the Bible says we knowing that he has promised to come, we do get ready anyway because we don't know when he's coming. We want to be ready when he comes. But he also says he cannot see far off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And what's the meaning of that? You were forgiven for a reason. You were changed from the way you were to a new creature in Christ for a reason. God has a design on everybody he saves. Nobody is invaluable. Nobody is meaningless. Everybody that God saves has a certain function or mission in this life. It means everybody is saved for a reason and a purpose. If you forget that, you're still a self-serving person. You go to a church of your choice, do whatever you want to do. As long as they leave you alone, you'll stay there. Go your own way. Life is a piece of cake. And yet at the end of your life, there's nothing, absolutely nothing. 
I had this thought. It was, to me, it was a prophetic thought. I was thinking the other day about the number of people I have known in my life who were in a place that was dry. Not only in a place that was dry, but was nothing more than a religious exercise. The main business was on getting a bill paid or getting organized or see so many things besides the preaching of the word. They knew they needed more. Some of them would come to a place like this. I'm not saying this is the place. They accuse me of saying that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying they come to a place and they hear the word preached. Not necessarily good, not necessarily with a lot of fancy anything to it. But they know it's a word. It doesn't have to be a fancy, high-class preacher to be the word of God. It doesn't have to be. All it needs is an anointing on whoever is speaking. That's all it needs because that's the way it gets into your heart. So they come to a place like this and they realize that, you know, wow, this, man, I wish I had this back where I was. Then they begin to think, and maybe I should go there. They start giving us some serious thought. And lo and behold, they find reasons not to. And they go back to nothing because they said there's nothing there. But they stay there. And when Jesus comes back, what does he find with them? Nothing. That was a spoken word to me. I've just briefed it. But I was speaking that the other day, and I thought, that is so true. Life is so brief. There's nothing more important than hearing the word of God. Nothing. Nothing will have more meaning in my life, in my relationship to God, than me hearing what he says and responding to it. Nothing. I need to hear it. I must be responsive to it. Because if you like these things, if you like that, what are you going to do? But he says, wherefore the rather. Now we finally get to our text, 10. Wherefore the rather. Therefore, brethren, therefore, give diligence. Now that's something you do, not what God does. You do. You give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Prove. Prove by the way you live that you were one of God's called or one of God's elect. Prove it. Demonstrate by the choices you make in life, by the decisions you're making on how to live. Demonstrate. Show me that you're one of God's elect. Live that way. Change your speech. Change your direction. Everything that's not of God, change it. Prove that you are God's people. Live like it. Make it sure. Notice, then he said, and doing all of these things, you shall never what? Fall. When the roll is called up yonder, you'll be there. When life terminates and ends, altogether at the rapture or at the end of the age or whether you die, if you do these things, you live this way, you will not fall. The meaning is, it is possible to fall. It is possible to fall. Going to church, getting baptized in water and sitting in a pew does not mean you're ready to go. I believe your sins are forgiven. Don't get me wrong. 
And I believe God is much more probably tolerant than I am. I don't know what he knows. All I know is that I got to make my calling and election sure. I must press in. I must labor to enter into that rest. The way to life is narrow. That's what I'm taught. Therefore, I must make sure I can get through a narrow gate and I'm not, I'm not handicapped with stuff that I can't get through that gate. God, teach me your way. That type of thing. Because you see, as we said earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, so take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And you turn aside. Because that's what happens when the heart is turned aside or deceived and you give up. I turn to Hebrews 2. See, we have to remember some things. Did not Jesus say that the Holy Spirit would come to remind us, to show us things to come, bring to our remembrance things? In John 14 and 26, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things and show you things to come. You remember that? So that's what God does. Among the many things that God is doing, one of the busy things that God is doing by his spirit is teaching. That makes it important. Teaching you all things, that must mean that all things are important. All things present, all things future. He is teaching us. He's going to show us things to come, isn't he? This is an important work of God. It's not a stagnant life that we live. God is not just passively sitting in heaven waiting for the end to come. He's busy. He brought you here to be busy with you, every one of you, to be busy with you, to get your attention, to talk to you, to make your mind go, mm, like I was reading Deuteronomy. He wants you to go, huh. You may not hear the next two sentences in the message, but you heard, huh, he's talking to you. Amen. He's got something to say to you. You need to listen. It's a part of his plan for you. The Holy Spirit is never leaving his people ever alone because he that started a good work in you is going to finish it. And we're not easy to work on. But with God, there are no problems. So he can do this without any difficulties. Now, remember this, too. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, he said, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest what? Lest at any time they slip. Or one version says, Therefore, we must pay the closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Therefore, it is possible to drift away from it. It is possible to give heed as a Christian or as a person to give heed to a seducing spirit. The doctrine is in a religious context, the doctrine of an evil spirit. Because what do evil spirits do? They carry out the work of their master, the devil, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. All he has to do is mislead you, get you on the wrong path. 
put the wrong thoughts in your mind, power you down a little bit to where this is not such a big deal, make you back off, give up. That's all he has to do. In other words, all the devil has to do is give you an easier way. Make it easy. Make it less painful. Jesus said we must do much tribulation enter into the kingdom. It's going to be costly. And one of these messages we'll get to after this one will take two or three weeks, but we'll get to the cross. We have to go by the cross. We can't make it without a cross. And the cross is not a very popular thing unless you're wearing it around your neck or sticking on top of a building. Because in, in reality, a cross is death. And nobody likes a message that brings death. But you can't live unless you die because out of death comes life. So we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, less at any time they slip. What good would it be for us to come here and hear something God had to say if we are unwilling to give heed to it? What if we were just looking for something that made us feel good, but not something that's going to change our life? I'm sure that's possible. But it seems to me that what God is saying to his people has a design with it. It wants to accomplish that which he pleases and prosper in the thing whereto he's centered. If he sent his word to make you holy, that's what it's going to do to those that receive it. So, that in mind, there are many of these in the Bible. Let me just pick out some of them about things that you're specifically warned and encouraged to do. That is, as far as heed is concerned. There's two verses here. Mark chapter 4, verse 24, and Luke chapter 8, and verse 18. Mark chapter 4, and verse 24, and Luke chapter 8, and verse... 18. Mark chapter 4 and verse 24. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be meted to you again, and unto you that hear shall more be given. Let me just get the first part of that verse. He said, Take heed what you hear. Let me ask you a question. And I know you agree with me. I'm just trying to go to the next point. Is it important what we hear? Not only here in the church context, but also how about in the world? Could you pay attention to things that could damage you? I don't mean your job that requires you to balance something or sell something or paint something or fix something. I'm not talking about things you got to think about that way. I'm talking about things that have to do with doctrinal ways or philosophy of life. Because if you turn on a religious program, you get a lot of various views. I mean, you can go from one end to the other. But he said here, you better take heed what you hear. Now, if you haven't been taught much, if you know little about the gospel, you don't know what you're listening to anyway. You wouldn't know if it was right or wrong. Amen. I could have grown up and said I didn't, but I could have grown up and said, well, I belong to the Christian church, the disciples of Christ. Same thing President Johnson belonged to. It must be good. All right. So I belong to the Christian church. 
The only people I'm going to listen to are people in the Christian church because everybody else might be wrong, but I know everybody in the Christian church is right. That's been proven woefully wrong. But how would I know if somebody else had something better to say? When I first got saved, I feasted on the Baptist preacher. I found him out and let's talk. Man, I've got something. I don't know what I got. Tell me about it. And he did. We had good talks. But there's something about the warning of take heed what you hear. Now, look in Luke chapter 8. He says, take heed how you hear. Take heed what you hear in Mark chapter 4. And then in Luke chapter 8, he says, take heed how you hear. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. Because to whoever has been given, if you hold on to it, you'll be given some more. And you'll have more than you had before. So take heed what you hear. Are there deceiving spirits in the world? Are there seducing spirits and doctrines of demons? You better be careful. God won't prevent you from hearing it. You could hear it from here under the wrong circumstances. You've got to know in your heart what you believe and have a word that can challenge whatever. You know, if somebody speaks something other than this word, it's because they're in darkness. And you don't believe what anybody says. I don't care who it is. You know, I trust myself in what I'm saying. I do. I know what I believe. But I wouldn't expect you to believe it because I believe it. Not if you've got any wisdom about you. You don't believe it because I said it. You've got to find out for yourself. Is that right what that man said? Is that true? Is what I heard that man say, is that true? How can I know? Well, let's go to the Bible and see what he said. Check it out, two or three verses. If it doesn't confirm the word, what you heard, if it doesn't confirm the word, don't believe it. It doesn't mean the man was trying to deceive you. He just might have been ignorant. Now, if he's trying to deceive you, get out of there. Get out of there. If a man can be corrected, go talk to him. Correct him. If he's got a good spirit, you can correct him. If he wants to argue and defend himself, because I then maybe you need to leave. But he said, here you take heed what you hear. And then he said, you take heed how you hear. That's your attitude. Don't come in here with your arms folded wondering what this babbler's got to say. Well, come in here acting like you don't, you know, that everybody's wrong because we're not in your church. Or don't come in here thinking that because we're not in the Christian church, it couldn't be right. Or we're not Pentecostal, therefore it's not right. I'm neither of those. But you go with the attitude that I need to hear what the Lord has to say. God, give me a keen witness to what I'm hearing because I need to hear it. Because if you're not careful, things can happen and you can be turned off. How close are you to Proverbs 28? You're not that far, are you? Just read verse 9 of Proverbs 28. You want to hear the word. You want to make sure your heart is right in coming to hear it. You don't want to stand afar off and say, well, I can't receive anything in this place because they're not of my persuasion. You can't do that. Unless you walk into a Mormon gathering. 
But he said, whoso turneth away his ears from the hearing of the law or the word, if he doesn't want to hear the truth, what does God do with what he hears from this man? The Bible said, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Doesn't it say that? Let me ask you again. What kind of premium does God put on his word and us hearing it? Listen to it again. Whoso turneth away his ears from the hearing of the law, even his prayer, he said, shall be an abomination. That's judgment. At the end of Romans chapter one, he talks about those who did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And God let them go. Can't be saved. Can't get right. Can't know the truth. They didn't want to know it when they could know it. They didn't want to give up their old lifestyle or something. And so they gave it all up. You got to hear it. Would you look in Jeremiah, please? Just chapter 23 for a moment. Jeremiah has 87 sermons in it for you preachers. Maybe 86. Well, anyway, Jeremiah chapter 23. He just lets it go. This is how God spoke to his people who were showing little, if any, interest in what he had to say or what he wanted from the people. They had so mingled themselves with the people in the land that God warned them against. When they crossed going into the Jordan, the warning was the people over here are an abomination to God. I want you to rid the entire land, men, women, and children, eliminate all of them. I'm giving it to you. If you let anybody over there stay, they will corrupt you. And indeed, when God sent the Assyrians down to carry away Israel in the north and the Chaldeans came, Nebuchadnezzar, to carry away the southern two tribes, God said, you are worse. The reason they were judged, you are worse than the people whose land you took. The land I gave you, the people who were here, you're worse than they are. How did they get that way? It's a warning we read in the Old Testament. We're supposed to learn something from this. They were chosen. They saw miracles. They heard a voice speak at the mount. Nobody has ever heard that. These people had access to God through Moses like nobody. They couldn't lose a battle. They were feared by people about them. God said, I will cause the land all around you to fear you, not because you're mighty, but because I gave a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I was going to do this, and you're the ones I'm going to do it with. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to do it because I keep my word, just like Israel today. It's the most unreligious nation maybe in the world. Oh, they're religious, but they're not back in their land as mighty and as strong as they are because they're spiritual people. God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a long time ago that he would do this, and he's doing it now. But he also said in the end, you read Zechariah, at the end before the Lord comes, he'll save everybody that's alive in Israel, save them all. They'll all be saved. Then it'll be a wonderful time at the end. Then the millennium comes, and I don't know what happens after that. It's going to be good. 
But in Jeremiah chapter 23, God speaking to these people, his people, who were acting just like heathen nations all about. He said, verse 18, who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord? Now, he's no doubt talking about these ministers who were misleading the people, who were telling them things that were not true, but people liked, causing them to have to be judged. We could say the preachers, but let's make it also today individually us, because we're all ministers in a sense. Who has stood? Who in Shelbyville Christian Assembly, who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Who? And who has perceived, that is, understand, put it together, and heard his word? Who? Who in this assembly has done that? And, he said, who has marked his word and heard it? Now, how serious is that? In other words, God is saying, you know what the problem with the nation is? You know what the problem with deadness is? A lack of of believing what God has said. Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Does God counsel? The word means to guide, does he? Who wants it? He's asking the question, who wants it? Who came to me and said, Lord, I need to be shown the way to life. I need to understand your word. Who? Who has, he said, stood in the counsel of the Lord and perceived, that is, understood, I got it perceived and understood his word. Who said, Lord, I need it. Teach me thy ways. Who has done that? And then when God did it, went, oh, praise God. I see it. Now, this is where we started this whole thing. This is when a man begins to change. He starts getting away from his sin. The things that aggravated God and brought judgment, he begins to see that. He turns away from it. Why? Because he has heard and he has perceived and he understands. He said, who has marked his word? Who's made a note of that? Who has marked his word and heard it? I know in whom I have believed. How do you know? Because I heard it and there was a witness in my heart and I held fast to it. God asked a question to his people that are about to be judged horribly. He said, who amongst us in this decline, spiritual decline, who has done this? Who has done this? Who's listening? We're talking about take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear. Who has done it? Who's made it a big deal to listen to what God has to say? He said in verse 16, he said, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. That is the false one. He said, they what? They make you vain. The word vain means useless. What good are you to God if you're vain? What? He said, the people that are teaching you, the religion that is misleading you in your ways, that's keeping you, folding your arms and putting you to sleep. He said, they're making you vain. Something God never does is put us to sleep and make us vain. He is always busy with this conviction and working on us and doing things this way and that way. And notice, 
He said in verse 17, they say still unto them that reject me, the word despise means reject. They say to them that reject me, those sitting in the congregation, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walks after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. We got 8,000 promises. Praise God, we got it made. Woo, let's live life to the hilt. Part of that can be true. But he said, they have made you vain because the way you live, you have rejected me. You've turned aside from what I have to say. And you've sought out others with itching ears who will tell you what you want to hear and not what I want to hear. And yet when you live with an itching ear to what is wrong, you're going to be judged for it. But I don't want to judge you, so I'm warning you. Isn't that good? You're going to be judged, but I don't want to judge you. I want mercy rather than that. Maybe I'll crank the preacher up and he'll crank one out. And maybe you'll see it. Maybe you'll be bothered by these things. But this is what he was saying to them. He said in verse 22, he said, if they had stood in my counsel, if you and I stood in his counsel and we heard his word, you know what his word would do? I just told you a while ago, but this verse says it. You know what his word will do if you receive it? If he had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then he should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. He said in verse 29, is not my word like a fire? Is this not true that when we come together, if God gives us his word, it very often is like that? It's like a hammer or a fire. Does it not do something in us that we need to deal with? Of course it does. God will never put us to sleep with the word. We're never going to go to some big lively thing and just laugh our way all the way through it and woo and go home and think, boy, because I laughed and had a good time, I'm doing good. What'd you hear? Well, I don't have a clue what to, I don't think they got to preach this morning, did they? Well, I think we just got to carrying on and we got jumping and running and I don't think anybody preached. You had fun, didn't you? Yeah. Well, let me see. See, Jeremiah, is that 23, verse 32? Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams. We had a whole movement in America, the latter rain movement, 48 to 52, 19, Saskatchewan to this very present hour, a whole movement bathed in error came out of dreams. People have based ministries on a dream that somebody had or a vision that somebody had, changed all their theology because of a dream and a vision. Whew. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to what? To err by their lies and by their what? Lightness. Levity. Levity. That's what people like. 
He said at the end of chapter 5 of Jeremiah, that's what they want. They like that. It seemed like so much of religion today is entertaining. It's just entertaining. He's got a lot of have a lot of humor and a lot of fun in it, and but, but no word. Like the biggest church I'm told in America does not want to preach about sin because it bothers people. I think when we meet, something should bother us. I get bothered, and I'm preaching. I do. I had a good sermon yesterday, another one by myself, a short one, but it man, it was good. I can't get you all in that room there, but it was, it was good. So here's a warning. Take heed. Take heed what you're hearing. Take heed how you're hearing it. Don't come in here with a judgmental attitude trying to correct me. Go somewhere else. If you're going to come in here, come in here to listen to what is said. You don't have to believe it because I said it, but listen. Pay attention. Ask God to give you understanding. Ask God to give you perception. Ask God to help you to mark that word and hide it in your heart so that you know in whom you have believed. Give, ask for that. Don't waste the moment. Take advantage of the opportunity that we have. We only meet twice a week, and Jesus is coming. Let me give you a second thing. The second thing he said to take heed to, he said is take heed that no man deceives you. Matthew 24, I'm going to read it. Matthew 24 and verse 5, Jesus was speaking concerning the last days. He sat down on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, take heed that no man deceive you. Let me ask you a question. Will men try to deceive you? Are we not warned that in the church there will be angels of light but who are really on the inside agents of the devil? We don't even want to say that. We don't even want to admit that the word evil is applied to more things than Brussels sprouts. We just don't want to say it. But anything that is not of God, anything that doesn't promote God is given to us by the Lord that we are holding is evil whether it's the preacher, his message, or your granny that talks you out of the Holy Ghost. It's evil. We don't like to say that because we can't perceive that that way. God just says it. He calls any design in your mind that takes you another direction an evil imagination. Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5, he said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ." and shall deceive many. People like that. They do. Something mysterious and new and exciting and different from the old stagnant religious meetings that we're so used to. And somebody comes along and he's Christ. Jesus said they'll tell you he's out there or he's over here. He said don't believe any of them. Well, how will we know? Let me tell you something Jesus said. This is how you'll know. As the lightning comes out of the east and goes to the west and so forth, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You won't miss it. How many of you know that when on a spring day when the lightning is furious and the sound shakes the earth, 
you remember that. At the time, you go, boom, and the sky lights up. The first thing you do is look up. You look up. Because <gasps> it's kind of terrifying. There's a lot of power up there. That thing can just get close. It can hit a tree, and the cow standing over here close to the tree dies. Seen that. Didn't see it. I saw it after it was over. Bang and boom. Power. He said, when you see the lightning, whom across the sky, and you naturally go, oh, kind of a fearful thing. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. When he comes back to the earth, every eye shall see him. When he comes back for his saints, only his saints, only those that look for him shall he appear to. But when he comes back to this earth and does that final judgment, the day of the Lord, boy, that's an interesting subject. Not a particular single day, but a time. The day of the Lord and great judgments happen all over this earth. Then they shall know. It's when the Jewish people will then begin to weep for him as one would mourn for his only son. And he shall have mercy and pity on him. He shall save them. But this idea of letting no man deceive you, not being sucked in by all of those things that the world and the devil is going to try to do. He said, like verse 23 and 24, Yes, I just spoke of that. There shall arise false prophets and false Christ, he said, and shall deceive many. I think we're there. I think we're there, and I think the deceivers are so close to being the real thing that we can't tell the difference. Only the Spirit of God can alert us to the difference. Men who years ago said they were prophets, they preached stuff that was horrible. Men who say they're apostles today, and the things that they promote are terrible. But if you don't know what the word says, you'll think it's good because it's new, it's different. These men have a kind look on their face, a nice smile. They're tender-hearted. They seem to be so humble. But the design of, of their life is to snare you. First Timothy 4, 1 again, in the latter times, many or some shall depart from the faith. Why? They'll give heed to seducing spirits. In the church, seducing spirits and doctrines, teachings, directions to live of demons. What would a demon teach you? Now, I don't know either. I mean, but, well, maybe I do know. If a devil could teach you, if the devil could preach sermons, what would you hear? I'll guarantee you one thing you wouldn't hear. You wouldn't hear the word of truth. You would hear a mention of the word because he knows that'll keep you here. Just use the Bible, quote the scriptures. The devil can quote scripture, he quoted it to Jesus. What would the devil say? Wouldn't he say something different than what God said? Wouldn't he make it pleasing and appealing? Wouldn't he make it exciting? So that you would say, yeah. Wouldn't he try to gain your admiration by his skillful words and presentation? Of course he would. So you follow the man rather than the message. Of course he would. Paul spoke to the 
elders at Ephesus, and he said, after my departing, grievous wolves from amongst you will come in and try to take over. They're waiting in Ephesians 4 till we be no longer children tossed to and fro. He said, there are men waiting to come in and deceive. They're right now, they're standing in line when the devil says, okay, you're next. They'll come out on the scene. Somebody's going to follow them. They're going to promote something other than God, either promote their denomination, their views, their dream or vision, or some accomplished minister. They're going to promote something. And most people will follow that because they don't know the word. And yet, back to where we started, take heed that no man deceives you, not this preacher not any preacher, not the radio, not that book you've got, not your grandma's notes in her Bible. If any man speaks not according to this word, he has no light. And remember this as we close. In 2 Thessalonians, you don't turn to this, 2 Thessalonians 2 describes the Antichrist and what's going to happen. And one of the things when the Antichrist comes, just in a very, very, very near future right now, I believe the Antichrist is in the world now waiting his turn. He said there are many in those days who did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Why? I don't know. Somebody talked him out of it. But he said they will perish because they received not the love of the truth. They will perish. I mean, in the time of the end, in the time of the great error, the time of the great deception, the time of the Antichrist and the end of the world, when the word is going to be hard to find, maybe it's that time it'll be running to and fro to hear the word of the Lord. They can't hear it. But there's going to be a time in which great spectacular signs and wonders and things take place and people will fall away. You better get ready because that's going to happen. Don't let it happen to you. Then there's warning. Paul warned about Hymenaeus and Alexander. These are the men who said their word will eat like a canker. So what is a canker? The word from which we get gangrene, something that eats away. Their word, listen, their word, what they're preaching will not only come to you, but you'll like it, you'll receive it. And like some kind of a disease, it just begins to creep in and take over. It's soothing. It seems so right because there is a way that seems right. And they're going to take over. The Bible says they'll overthrow the faith of some, not all, but of some of them. And in closing this morning, turn to Second Peter again. 2 Peter, again, chapter 1, where we started. Remember we talked about these eight things that add to, add to, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, godliness, patience. Remember all of those things? If these things in you and abound, they make you neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and so forth. Things we have to be taught. Notice what Paul said. In verse 12, therefore, therefore, having said that, therefore, 
I will not be negligent to put you always at Shelbyville Christian Assembly in remembrance of these things, though you know them. Same old, same old, folks. Let's keep saying it. Let's keep bringing it forth. Let's keep bringing it because somebody is going to receive it and those that have already received it are going to go yes with it. But he said, I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Verse 13, yea, I think it necessary as long as I'm in this tabernacle, this body, to stir you up by what? Putting you in remembrance. Verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in what? These are things that will remain. They'll stay with you because why? They've been drilled in you. This word has been drilled in you here. I hope it has. I like it. I hope you like it. And so in closing, chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2 and verse 24. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge, that's that word again, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they are again entangled and overcome, well, the latter end will be worse for them than the beginning. Does your Bible say something near that, close to that? Well, then we ought to give the more earnest heed to what we are hearing and to challenge ourselves, to give ourselves that personal examination. Am I walking this way? Am I one of those people that's going to be left out or am I one of those imperfect though I am, I'm going to strive to enter in? Because you see, my desire is that nobody in this assembly here be lost, that none of you fall, fall away. You don't have to fall. It's not required to fall. You're given success. God help us. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless your word to your people as a word of life. May it be to us as words of life. You would enlighten us, make us to know, not just to remember, but to hide the word in our heart and remember it because it's a part of us. I pray that you'd give us here a heart to hear the word and a desire to understand it and the courage to live it. Father, I know that Jesus is coming soon. <clears throat> Help us, Lord, that we be alert, watchful and waiting when the bridegroom cometh. I ask you to bless us this way in Jesus' name. Amen. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Ignite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, Lord, my God, with all. Yeah.
Christ the 